Our speaker this morning needs no introduction. He's a good friend. He's been here before. He's a powerful man of God. I'm happy to have him and his wife, Joe, with us in the service today. We are seeking God's will for directions of our church. As many of you know, our uh, interimship with uh, Royce is coming to an end in maybe less than a month, and we're seeking God's guidance for an interim pastor. And is, is, is Todd the one? Pray for us. We don't know. He's seeking God's direction as much as we are. So, Todd, come give us what God's laid on your heart. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for having me back. Um, Ed, thank you, and thank you for your leadership with the board this year and all that you're going through. Navigating that is very difficult. And uh, Nancy, thank you for your, uh, with the children, that's very precise navigation um, that you told the kids about heading south. You'll uh, change when you come around the South Pole, but heading east, you'll always go east. And I'm a pilot, so that appealed to me, so thank you. But uh, uh, I brought my better half with me this time. And, you know, where's Jonathan um, Huddleston? We have something very much in common. You know, we run. We're, we're strong runners and all this. Stretching a little bit. Uh, but we are married to wonderful women. We've married up. And uh, our wives have filled our homes with music. And, uh, Joe, thank you for that beautiful uh, music that you played today. And, uh, Betsy, thank you for leading the choir. This all fits together, and, and this is the time of our worship this morning. Um, last time I was with you, I shared with you from the book of Psalms, Psalm 16, where we talked about, My heritage is beautiful to me. And I hope that that encourages you to keep perspective that you're, you have a rich, godly heritage here at Keshia Baptist Church. Um, but you know, uh, that was the style that I uh, shared with you. That's more of an expositional style where you go verse by verse and you expose the meaning of the words or the verses. And it's a great style to preach from. And today I'm going to speak in a more topical fashion uh, in, in a moment. But uh, you know, I have never shared with you my story, my uh, testimony of how I came to faith in Christ. And I'd like to just do that so you have a little bit of context to how to view me and who I am and, and where uh, Joe and I are coming from. I, When I was 12 years old, someone asked, if you can have anything in the world, what would you like to have? And so I'm around with my cousins and friends, and we're kind of talking. If you can have anything in the world, what would you like to have? And the typical kid responses are, a big house, a fancy car, you know, a million dollars. You hear those. And my response was, looking back on it, was kind of strange. I said, to know that when I would die, that I'd go to heaven. To know that when I die, I'd go to heaven. And let me, the way that came about was, I was raised as a Catholic. It was a very moral home. We were taught the ways and the things of God. I was an altar boy, so I had a great respect for the ways and things of God. But as a Catholic, you know, we do the sacraments, and the sacraments impart grace, and you have this accumulation of grace in your life. That's why the sacramental system is what it is. But when you die, you kind of hope that your good's going to outweigh your bad. And even as a 12-year-old boy, I knew my good wasn't going to outweigh my bad. And, it, and God heard the prayer of that little boy when I was in college and then as a, 
uh, officer in pilot training in beautiful Del Rio, Texas. There's a beautiful woman, woman behind every tree in Del Rio. But uh, I had friends who were sharing with me about the Bible and the things of God. And I started reading the Bible for myself. And as Catholics, we kind of tip our hat to the Bible. We didn't put a lot of weight in it. And it was written by man and all this. And even though all its catechism comes from it. But personally, I didn't. But as I started reading it and going to church with these guys, I realized that there's really one author to this book. There's 40 human authors, but one author. It was as if someone took the back of a Swiss watch and took the back of it off. And the precision gearing of how portions in the Old Testament fit exactly with the new. The Old Testament is a New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament. That had one author. And so I went in to speak to the preacher one day and explained to him my situation. And he started to share with me the gospel that Jesus was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. And this is what my head's doing while I'm listening to him. I'm acknowledging all these things. That he lived a sinless life and that he taught us the ways and the things of God and that he was crucified, he died, and he was buried and rose the third day according to the scriptures. And I'm bobbing my head. And the pastor was a little taken back because I'm agreeing to everything, but this is not foreign to Catholic theology. What is a little foreign is recognizing that this is a gift presented, the gift of eternal life, and it's received by faith. It is not earned. I don't, my good doesn't have to outweigh my bad. It is received. It's God's grace received by faith. And that evening, in the solitude of my bedroom, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. But I believe you died on the cross for me and that you gave You purchased my forgiveness. And I'm asking you, Lord, would you save me? Come into my life. I want to be yours. Simple as ABC. Admit, believe, call. And he did. And so from that point on, I grew as a Christian. And getting into uh, good churches. And um, Dr. Tarkington was uh, a pastor in North Carolina. Uh, I'll tell you about Baptist churches if we have another opportunity again. But uh, anyway... uh, uh, I started to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And one of the things that was passed on to me that I'm going to pass on to you is the importance of the quiet time. And so my sermon title today is, How's Your Quiet Time? And so I have, what I've given you in your bulletin is a little handout. And I give this for two reasons. One, it promotes active listening. But two, many of you have walked with the Lord Jesus for many years. But maybe you have influence with a son or daughter, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, uh, grandchildren, that you want to be a spiritual influence for them. And so one of the most vital things that in the Christian walk is this concept of the quiet time. So take notes. Perhaps I'll share with something that might key you and you write it down. And then this way, you'll share with them and enrich their lives. Or you need to incorporate it yourself. So I, I do that to, to share. And that involves the quiet time, involves our private worship in the church. We have public worship this morning. And, and the music and uh, 
and the fellowship of the saints and the proclamation of God's work, this all is part of public worship. But God calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth, here publicly and privately. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the quiet time and how it fits into our private worship. I'd like to um, look at what the Lord Jesus did. Uh, if you will, turn with me to Mark 1 and it's amazing how this is a God thing, just kind of, again, fitting together. Uh, in the quarterlies, if you're following the quarterlies, we were in Mark 1 today. So you were there, and Chad, you did a great job. We were in Mark 1, so I'm just kind of fitting in where God's leading. But I want to read from verse 29 to 39 just to give you the context of this important passage. So if you'll listen with me, it says in verse 29, And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue... They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up, and taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out to and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Here we have in this section of um, the book of Mark, and if you might have remembered, if you covered it in your Sunday school class, the book of Mark is written to a Gentile audience, specifically to a Roman audience. And Mark's theme is Jesus the Messiah, servant of Jehovah. He is going to portray the Lord Jesus as a powerful, obedient servant. This is very appealing to the Roman. In fact, when you um, look and you're attentive to certain words, the word immediately or straight away appears 40 times in Mark's gospel. Man of action. Um, and he's, and the word authority comes up. And they see that he has power and dominion. So that's all very impressive to the Roman audience. And so here we're reading in this first chapter. You might have covered it this morning, but even the part I did. In verse 14, it talks about Jesus preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. In verses 16 to 18, he's calling the disciples, Andrew and Simon, Peter and uh, James and John. In verse 21, he's preaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 24, he's exercising a demoniac in the synagogue. He leaves the synagogue, picks up where we started reading, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Um, healing many with disease in verses 32 to 34. And then he says, we're moving out. Uh, going on to preach the city, uh, the gospel to other cities, for this is what I came out for. And so thematically, Mark is developing, and we see the busyness of this all. And 
I'm tired reading it. And he's doing it. So this is probably the busiest couple of days in Jesus' ministry. But if you're not careful, you miss a very vital point that, that Mark inserts here. And amid, in the midst of all this busyness, he tells us something that's secret to the Lord Jesus. Verse 35, it says, And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. What Mark inserts here is a time of apparent inaction. Praying, just sitting there praying, whatever, on his knees praying. It appears to be inaction. But the reality is it's vital action. In the King James Version, it uses the phrase, rising up a great while before day. So it's not just waking up with the chickens. It's before it's sunup, a great while before the sunup. And it's been said that Jesus was powerful in practice and preaching because he was passionate and persistent in prayer. And so we see a very, very vital quality of the Lord Jesus the emphasis and the priority of prayer in his life. And if it's important to the Lord Jesus, it's got to be important to us. You know, when we talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're about, disciples and disciple-making. And so what does the word disciple mean? But one who is disciplined by the Master to follow and walk in his ways, the rabbi of the first century Judaism would have a following and they would emulate what that master did. They would discipline or align with, as a student does, their teacher, their rabbi. And so if the master does this, we need to be attentive to it as well. So Jesus demonstrates um, in verse 35, um, this practice of meeting with his father each and every day. And as Christians, we call this, some of you might call it devotions. Some of you might call it quiet time with God. And for our purposes, I'm going to use the word quiet time with God because, and let me just define what it is. It is the practice of alone time with God, reading and meditating on his word, talking to him in prayer, and listening to the still, small voice of God and allowing God to fill you with his spirit. The purpose is to know God. The purpose is to know his will. And the way we do that is to know his word. Do you know God? Great question. Many of us, before I was saved, I had a knowledge of God, a mental assent. Yes, there is a God. We look at our calendars. This year is 2019. I know Domino, year of our Lord. Many of us can give the assent, head knowledge to Jesus. The purpose of this time with God is to know him. Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Lord? We might not know all the things that he instructs us to do, but we can trust him as being good. We follow them. And then as we walk with God, he teaches us his ways and the reasons for him. We understand it more fully. Ultimately, as we sang in the the hymn this morning, we know him as friend. And not just a casual acquaintance, This is in intimacy, and that's what God desires for us. And so, in going through our little uh, outline, the first thing that I'd like to do is the first QT there is um, 
deals with a quality time with God. And I'm often asked, when should I meet with God each day? Or when is the best time to meet with God? And from verse 35, we see Jesus met with him early, early in the morning, a good while before the sun came up. So that was Jesus' practice to meet with his father and spend time in prayer, talking to him. Prayer is nothing more than talking with God. And so that was his practice. But it speaks of the priority, the first things first in Jesus' life was to meet with his father. What a great lesson. And so for us, I'm asked, when is the best time to meet with God? Jesus' example here was uh, early morning. But I say this to you. If you are not a morning person and you have a hard time with meeting with God in the morning, that's okay. Meet with God when you're at your best. God's always at his best, but he desires to meet with you when you're at your best so you can be attentive to him, that you can read his word and not drift off to sleep or or just be groggy waking up. Okay, so when you're at your best, don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be ashamed by it. God made you. He knows you, and he wants to meet with you when you're at your best. So any time that you meet with God is quality time. David, the psalmist, he was an early morning person because he said, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. So he would pray in the morning, and then he'd look for the answers to prayer. David was an expectant person. So whether you're early morning or night owl, it's okay with God. But give him the best time, quality time. Now, the next question I'm often asked is, where do I meet with God? And for this, I use the term for the quiet time. There's a reason we call it the quiet time, and I'll explain. It says, what I would ask you to do is choose a consistent location to meet with God. A place that's not going to be interrupted, that's going to be quiet, that you can get away. Um, There's some practical considerations. We try to make this an uninterrupted time, so what I would do is have my Bible, my prayer list, my coffee. I'm a coffee morning person. I stumble out. I have I have my coffee. Um, any other thing, maybe a hymnal you like to sing. They won't let me anywhere near the choir, but I love to sing. So maybe you have that with you. But don't be, you know, starting your Bible reading, and then you're going to go get your prayer list and get interrupted and distracted. And then your cell phone is pretty good to just leave it away. Don't even look at it yet. Don't let that interfere with the busyness of the day. Just some practical considerations that it's a quiet time, a quiet place. Um, I think of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 19. And uh, he was told the Lord was going to pass by. And it says, um, a mighty wind blew and broke the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now God speaks to us in a very still, small voice because he wants to be very close to us. He wants us to draw near to him, and he wants to hear us, and he wants to speak to us. He wants to whisper to us because he's close and he's intimate. And he loves us so much. If I had my way, 
I would ask that God would speak to me in, like he spoke to Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. Moses! Moses! Okay? You know it's always in trouble when they say your name twice. But wouldn't it be easy if God just blared it out to us in a loud voice? Well, we see from Elijah's experience, He who draws near to God, God will draw near to him. So it requires, this is a step of intimacy. We're getting close to God. We're not just keeping God at arm's length. We're getting very close. And it's very good. He calls us because he loves us so much. Some of us have busy days, hectic days. And we look at the Lord Jesus, his day. That was a hectic couple of days there. And maybe you have the children at home and it's hectic. But I give you the story of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, the great Methodist uh, theologian, songwriter, hymn writer. She had 19 children. And her practice was that she trained her children that when she was going to have her quiet time with God, she would take her apron and she would put it over her head and she would have her time with God. And that was a symbol or signal to all the other children, don't mess with mama. And so she would have her time with God in the midst of 19 children. So we can learn from commitment there. She made a way. Maybe it means getting up a little earlier or... Uh, setting aside a special place where you can be quiet. So it's possible in the busyness of not life to make it a priority. Thank goodness for the example of Susanna Wesley. And it's difficult raising children, but she made a way to meet with God. Now, the third one that you have there deals with the quantity time. And the question I'm often asked is, how much time should I spend with God? Good question. And my response is, well, how well do you want to get to know him? Sometimes we just say, God is me, boom, boom, and I'm out the door. And what type of relationship is that? What does that speak of? It's, it's, it's very superficial. Which of us with significant relations, whether it's a spouse or our children or grandchildren, don't love spending large amounts of time with them? It's the same thing with God. He made us for relationship and to spend time with him. And that should be our heart's desire. Now, if you haven't had a quiet time or this is kind of new, let's start out small. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. But we take a time, we'll read God's word, and then we'll talk to him in prayer. But the habit is what we want to establish. A daily habit. For me, the way I established a daily habit meeting with God, was I'm a baseball fan. And Joe DiMaggio in 1943 had a 56-game hitting streak for the Yankees. That's been untouched in professional sports. Now, people have gotten 40-game hit streaks where they've gotten a hit in every game for 40 games, but no one's hit his for 56 games. It's a record that still stands. So I kind of viewed my time with God as I got to keep the streak alive. Now, that may sound very superficial or very carnal, but it was something that when I didn't want to meet with God, 
I used to encourage me to create that godly habit. And that's what this is about, is creating a godly habit of meeting with God regularly. And I hope that you say, okay, I'm going to keep the streak alive. Keep the streak alive just to meet with him because there's benefit in the persistent practice of it. So that becomes a very important thing. So what we've talked about is the... the um, Quality time when you're at your best, and then the uh, the quietness of it, and then the quantity of the time. That's all of this is logistical. Okay, the how tos of it. Now I'm going to get into the meat of it. Is is what the quiet time is composed of. The fourth point on on your bulletin is uh, it's a quenching time with God. It's a quenching time. This is our focus on our Bible reading. One of the greatest needs we have as Christians is to know God personally and intimately we want to find out what's god's wills for my life i see a lot of young people here and they uh they they often with the big three uh, okay where will i go to school what job will i have and who will i marry those are the big things when we talk about the will of god but we also as for those of us walk with god we're also concerned about other decisions and god's concerned about other things and we want to know what's god's will for us and the secret is this to know god's will you have to know God's word. It's as simple as that. Because in his world, word, he teaches us general principles about way to live and, and these things. So to know God and know God's will, we have to know his word. Now, Gatorade, uh, the sports drink, they call themselves the stir, uh, thirst quencher. Okay, uh, Gatorade has nothing on the word of God because the word of God satisfies our deepest longings our deepest needs, our deepest thirst. The psalm says, uh, Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the water, brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before God? In Psalm 107, he says, for he satisfies the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Augustine, a Christian theologian, said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds its rest in thee. In our song this morning, we say, my soul is satisfied in him alone. So as we come to his word and he reveals himself, what satisfaction, what quenching that brings us. And it satisfies that need to know him and we uh, continue to know him. The fifth point that I have is... um, a questioning time with God. This time is a questioning time with God. When we read the Bible, sometimes I have to stop and I have to say, okay, what did you just read? That's called observation. I, I have to say, okay, I read kind of fast. Let me just make sure I get the, what, what it's trying to say. So I just have to ask, what did I just read? We can just go through this mechanically and just really not pay attention to the words. Take a moment. Now, just in your own words, sum up what you just read. That's called observation. And the second thing we need to ask is, what does it mean? That's called interpretation. What does it mean? I can, uh, a very simple uh, rule to, to help you in reading a passage is what Rudyard Kipling said in the book, The Elephant's Child. He says, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and why and how and when and who. Sometimes just asking the questions, say, who is involved here? What are they talking about? Why are they talking about? Can help you to understand it and interpret the passage in its uh, literal meaning. And then the third question then deals with, how does this apply to me? 
and we talk about application. We, we want to put shoe leather to what we've just read. We're not just reading this for intellectual exercise. We're reading this to know God and has, what he has. The sixth point that we talk about is a quickening time. A quickening time. Time with God. Uh, when we meet with God, it should quicken us. I think about the commission of Isaiah in chapter 6. And there he is in the throne room of God. The seraphim are flying above the throne of God. They're covering their eyes. They're covering their feet. They have two other wings. They have six wings altogether, and they're, they're fluttering up there. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. And Isaiah is seeing this, and he's wrapped up in this adoration and praise. And he goes, my goodness. And when he sees God in his holiness, and he sees himself, his response is, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Seeing the purity and holiness of God sees us where we're at, and it's not often pretty. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah saw about himself. God takes care of that with the coal and purifies his lips. But that's where we are day to day. We see God in his holiness. We take time to adore him and worship him and praise him. And then we see, I've blown it. And it requires a time of confession. Let me just, you know, in the book, of, in the Gospels, where we all know the uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so as we have that, that was out of a response from the disciples. They saw Jesus' manner of prayer and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, okay, I'll teach you. And then he says, pray in this manner. And he gives a great model prayer. It's not to be said wrote or not thinking about. It's a model prayer. And I'm going to give you just a very quick acrostic to help you pray this model prayer. Um, In James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus, he said, the effectual prayers of a righteous man avails much. Oftentimes our prayer time is give me this, give me that. Okay, like your kids sometimes, they'll say, give me this, give me that. Okay. No, we need to pray effectually. And I'm going to give you an acrostic to remember how to pray effectually. A stands for adoration. Take time to praise God. As Isaiah saw the holiness of God and and the seraphim just declaring the holiness of God, we praise him and we adore him. We tell him we love him. Which of us, when with our children or our spouse or whatever, in relationship, they say, I love you. Isn't that wonderful when we hear that? That's what God loves that relationally with us. We take time to adore him and praise him and love him. We see him in his holiness. We say, um, Lord, I've sinned. I've blown it. Fortunately, First John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As the hymn writer said, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep a clean slate with God. Do you ever pray and feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Well, they are sometimes, and that's because of sin in our lives. Because the scriptures tell us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I've got to keep short accounts with them. I've got to be clean. Lord, I confess that. I agree with you. And then, okay, speak. Okay? So that's just very practical. So adoration, confession. Then I take time to thank him. I say, thank you, Lord, for whatever. 
Thank you for the fellowship of the saints today, the, the music that was, uh, encouraged me, or thank you for working in this situation. And as I start thanking God, I start seeing a track record. I start seeing a record of him answering prayer in my life. And I don't know about you, I get a little bold about that. I get a little confident. And as the writer of Hebrews said, let us boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and help in time of need. So I'm just running into that throne room now because God has been faithful in the past. And now when I come with my ass, supplication, I'm coming in boldly. Because that's what he says to do. Approach him boldly. But it's not just running there and give me this, give me that. I've worshipped him. I've praised him. I've adored him. I've confessed. And then I think, now I come in boldly. And I come in with some big requests. Because we have a big God. And that's what you need to remind yourself. We have a big God. And he is able. The, the final point, the seventh point there is, I couldn't get a cue out of this, so I just thought I'd put a re-cue in it. So it's, it's a requesting time with God. And we talk about our petitions, our supplication. And we pray for, um, His will, big and small. We pray for salvation. God's not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance. So when you pray for the salvation of a loved one, you're praying in the will of God. Um, Thanksgiving, uh, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. That should be a part of our lives, that we are a thankful people. And then we speak of God's glory, and that's our ultimate objective. When we pray for our needs, be careful that we don't pray amiss, wanting to spend things on our own pleasure. So we just pray in the will of God. Um, and then our sanctification. Uh, in First Thessalonians 4, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, sanctification is a purifying or a becoming uh, like Christ. That's the whole purpose of what we're about, we're to become Christ-like. And this deals with uh, the whole concept of transformation. As you spend time with God in his word, there's a transformation going on. Your values are now being replaced with his values. Your cares are being replaced by his care. Your sins are being forgiven by him and his blood. Your will becomes his will. And so that we see there's a transformation. And as Moses went up on the mountain of, of, uh, of, uh, to get the law, he came down and his face was radiant. That wasn't just an issue of sunburn at the higher altitude. He went into the tabernacle and he'd come out and his face was radiant. They had to put a veil on his face. And so uh, for us, when we, we meet with God, we radiate Christ. We're meeting him face to face as friends in intimacy and closeness. And that just radiates. People will see a difference in you. They'll see love in you. They'll see joy in you. They'll see uh, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, love. The fruit of the Spirit will just start emanating from you as you are filled with His Spirit and live out His life. So we just see how God works. As we pray, we're going to see amazing things. And that's going to transform. We're going to gain a greater confidence in the power of God. 
Alfred Lord Tennyson said, More things are wrought by prayer than this world ever dreams of. Wherefore, let your voice rise like a fountain night and day. If we realized all the things that prayer accomplished, I don't think we would ever leave our knees because we would be so involved in the work of prayer. Jim Simbola, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, said, We don't pray for the work. Prayer is the work. And that's what you're doing in this time with God. And as we do, we see God answer it. It's amazing. I, our time is going. And I'm, you can see I'm excited about this stuff. But this is so important. But we looked at the logistics of having a quiet time. And then we talked about the practical nature of reading God's word. And then um, listening to God through his word and his still small voice. And then praying. And we grow in that. This is how the Christian life becomes very exciting because it's relational. It's not just academic or intellectual. You and God are meeting together and it's a special time. I hope you prioritize it. I hope you value it. The Lord Jesus did. We saw that. But I want to close with this. A general director of a large mission organization was asked, What one quality of a missionary candidate would prove their success on the mission field? Was it the seminary that they went to, their academic rigor and the studies? Was it their uh, handling of a new language and the culture being able to uh, adapt? Was it the great sermons that they give? Were they a great evangelist? And all these people came forward and trusted Christ. The general director's answer might surprise us. He says, no, none of those. But it's how that person guarded his quiet time with God that made all the difference. He made it a priority, regardless of how busy or how difficult things were on the mission field, that he would meet with God each and every day during his quiet time, reading his word, talking to him in prayer, sharing, doing his life with God. So if it's, invalu- if it's valuable and vital for Jesus, and if it's valuable and vital for the young missionary on the mission field, it's vital for us as well. It's valuable for us. And so I encourage you, you as a body, we as a body, as Christians, living in a day where if we're prayerless, I- I'm fearful. But if we're prayerful, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I can tell you, these are spiritual warfare issues we're dealing with and God's work here in eastern North Carolina. I encourage you to take this time with God each day. Now, we're going to close. And normally, this is the time of invitation, okay? And I'm going to ask our uh, uh, ushers if they'll come out and if you'll hand out. uh, They have uh, Two of them have some of the handouts. If you'll... Hand them out, please. I have an invitation for you. And it's like a real invitation, okay? And I want you to take a look at it. It's going to be a little card. And as you're getting it, it says, and, and I, as I do this, I'm not doing this, I'm making this up, but I'm as an ambassador of Christ, a representative of the gospel, this is what I think God is speaking to us today. Tell me if you don't agree with it. Dear child of God, Your Heavenly Father, the Creator and Sovereign of the universe, earnestly desires to meet with you each day. At a time and place of your choosing, 
He longs to tell you of his loving kindness and his will for your life as revealed in his word, the Bible. He is also very eager to hear from you in prayer, to tell him the needs of your heart, and for you to ask him to do what only he can do. He will fill you with his spirit, and you will grow in your relationship with him. Will you accept his gracious invitation to meet with him each day? Now, Jonathan and um, Betsy, if you'll come. We're going to play I Come to the Garden Alone, which is very descriptive of the quiet time. And I want you to think about this. You don't have to fill it out today. Or if you're having a regular quiet time with God, just save it. Maybe you have a loved one that you'd like to pass this on. I got more of these. It's no big deal. But if you don't have it, or if you want to commit to a quiet time, I want you to sign it on this date, whenever you sign it. And then I want you to say where you're going to meet with them. Make it a promise. I'm going to meet you in my easy chair in the den at 6 o'clock or in the morning. And then I want you to keep that Bible, this in your Bible, or maybe up on a shelf or something like that, because it's going to remind you, on this day, he's invited you to meet with him. And I can assure you of this. Your Christian life will take on a dynamic and a vibrancy. There's no other way to explain, but you've met with God. It was said in the book of Acts, they recognize that they had been with Jesus. And people are going to recognize that you've been with the Lord Jesus. And there's going to be something different about you. And God's going to use you mightily. So as we play the song, just we're just going to bow our heads. Um, and you talk to God about this. Lord, I'm going to take you up on this. I'm going to take you up on this invitation because I want to meet with you. Because I love you. You've saved me. You've given me a new life. And I want to get to know you better. You fill it out and you save it. It's between you and the Lord. And then we'll dismiss. If there's anyone that would like to visit with us, uh, Dr. Tarkington, if you'll come, if, whatever, to talk about maybe some spiritual matter that caused you to think about it, if you want to talk, I'll be happy to do that. But take a moment to take the Lord up on his invitation. This bow. Father, we thank you for this morning, the fellowship of the saints, the encouragement we receive one from another. And thank you that you want to have a relationship with us that is personal and real and intimate. Lord, help us to take advantage of meeting with you each and every way, every day, to meet and to understand your word, your will, your love for us, and what you'd have us to do that day. Guide, O thou great Jehovah. Use us, walk with us, and be glorified in and through us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Now we pray that we'll go and that we'll serve you each and every day and honor you in all that is said and done. In Christ's name I pray, amen.